It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each week, we look at sports topics locally, some nationally. we got a gambling segment. And my favorite segment of the show, Ask Me, Ask Skinny Anything. I've got a great question this week that uh, I usually don't look at. You know, just to be honest, I, I never look at the questions ahead of time, Rick. You just hit them with me. But we had to, I had to have one given to me ahead of time that, that came in actually after the show last week from, from our friend Mo Egger, where he's asking me to rank a bunch of different people, some of them that you don't even know who the heck they are. I'm going to have some fun with that. It's quite um, the question. So I, so, so I did have to do my homework. Um, I knew all these people. I knew them well. I just wanted to, to double check and do some homework in order to rank them. So uh, I've got a laundry list of people I have to rank in, in, in order of career success. I, I can't remember how he phrased it. We'll wait till we get to that point of it, but uh, we'll have that segment of the show as well. We got a lot to get to. Reds on the cusp, perhaps, of uh, making the playoffs as long as they don't go to Minnesota and bomb. And uh, certainly a great, a great turnaround. Bengals trying to get off the 0-2. And we've got college football, SEC, starting this weekend. Big Ten uh, is, is going to start in a few weeks. UC's already underway. they got a big game this weekend to talk about and, and talk about in our gambling segment. And uh, as, we're ta- as we're taping this, actually, there's a conversation. The Pac-12 may be returning to college football. So a lot to get to. So start us off, Rick. I can't wait to hear what you came up with for most question. And one other thing that I did want to note, um, thank you to everybody that has checked out our new Bengals post-game oh, yes. reaction yeah, yeah, yeah. podcast. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we just launched it for the first time after the Thursday night game. Uh, we will continue to do that after every game, pretty shortly after the game at some point, once once you sort of finish doing your initial writing. Um, and it's, uh, it's doing well. It's gotten good listens and uh, plenty of feedback. So we're happy you guys have enjoyed that. Thank you for suggesting it. Right, and I can't even remember what I said because I was half asleep when I did it. So yeah, I mean, you get skinny <laughs> podcast at 2.30 a.m. What more could you want, really? The Reds took down the Brewers 6-1 Wednesday night at GABP to capture their fourth straight series win. Trevor Bauer pitched a gem on just three days rest as he allowed one run on four hits while striking out 12 on 104 pitches over eight innings. Skinny, let me ask you with, about Trevor Bauer to start here. What do you think his chances are of becoming the Reds' first Cy Young winner in franchise history? He's got a really good shot at it, Rick. I mean, especially if they if they end up making the playoffs. Um, I, I think he is certainly a guy you can point to as a reason that they got there. Um, uh, you know, leading the league in ERA. You know, the win total is not going to be high, but I think everybody that's that's now a voter and looks at that logically understands that a lot of times win total is out of your control as a pitcher. Uh, to me, the numbers I always look at are WHIP, batting average against, and and, and ERA because you can control almost all of that, and and he's controlled it and then some, and it just feels like every time they've needed a big outing from somebody um he's given it to him whether they were on a three-game losing streak and he's pitching the second game of a doubleheader or whether he's pitching the first game of a doubleheader to keep a win streak going or last night I mean that was a series that was a must-win series didn't have to sweep it uh, but needed to win it and so that was the rubber game he had the ball in his hands and he was dynamic and so yeah I think he's got a a, a really good chance to do that I, I certainly do yeah, I mean, you look at who else is in contention, and there is a group of National League pitchers towards the top that you could make a case for. Uh, Jacob deGrom, two-time winner the last few years, is right there in the conversation again. I think the fact that he's won it in back-to-back years and the fact that he's not at the top with his numbers this year will, will right. help uh, a guy like Bauer because I think there's a little voter fatigue there. And, again, I think for deGrom to win it a third straight year, it'd have to be pretty clearly – him being the best guy. And I don't think that's the case this year. Plus the, the Mets kind of stink. So um, 
you start looking around, I mean, some of the other guys that really have the best numbers, like to me, Corbin Burns from the Brewers would probably be the best resume if you're looking at stats, like he is the best ERA, or at least he did before Bauer's performance last night. Um, his whip's really good. But he's tied for 21st in innings pitched. He's only thrown 56 innings. He didn't make his first start until August 18th. So I think the fact that Bauer has – has had played such a huge part in the red season, taking the ball so many times really gives him a better shot. And then you add on what he did last night in such a key situation with so many people paying attention. Um, not to mention you cited the win loss record. He was at four and four going into last night. That puts him at five and four. I think seeing, like you said, win loss record, isn't the end all be all. And I think a lot of people know that now, but also seeing a guy with a winning record as opposed to a 500 record probably will help the voters out a little bit as well. Yeah. Did, didn't, didn't DeGrom win one of his, his Cy Youngs with around a 500 record or barely over it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think it was barely over. Maybe, maybe it even was 500. So it's certainly not the, the biggest deal, but I think a guy with a, a 500 or losing record uh, factors in a little bit. Yeah, and if he if he gets the start on Sunday as, as they've tried to shape the rotation for and, and, and seals the deal to get them to the playoffs, if that's the game that does it, you know, you'd hope as a Reds fan you don't have to hold your breath on a Sunday uh, for that to happen. But if he does that, then to me, I, I'd almost think he's a cinch, to be quite frank. Yeah, I would think so too. And certainly he's not lacking for confidence. He said after the game last night, I don't know how you could really see it any other way in terms of the Cy Young race. So, uh, Skinny, just, just that performance that he had Wednesday night, in terms of Red's history, at least recent history, that's about as big as it gets, right? I, I can't think of uh, like an individual who, who took the ball like that or just had an extraordinary game if they're not a pitcher that really carried the team in a, in a clutch situation. Like yeah, that. The, I mean, the, yeah. The only, the only one to me would be go back to the 90 world series with Jose Rijo. Um, and, and that wasn't just a singular game. That was a couple of starts for him. He was just so good in such a big stage against a team that the reds were not even supposed to beat, let alone sweep. So it, it equates to that for me, but for, as far as regular season, um, I, I mean, you, you look back at the teams in the seventies, they were always clinching early. Um, the 90 team was the wire to wire team. And, and, you know, um, the, the, that there was no dynamic effort at the end of the year that I recall the 95 team. I don't recall something at the end of the year, 99, um, they got shut out in that one game. It wasn't even a playoff that one game play in for the playoff, uh, yeah, thing against the, the, against the Mets and, and Al Leiter pitched for the Mets and, and pitched a shutout. So it wasn't a Reds pitcher who did, did it that night. So, yeah, for me, I, I think the only one I can equate it to is Jose Rio in, in 1990. Yeah, the, the teams from like 2011 to 2013, where the last time the Reds were really even in the conversation or competitive, the, the, kind of the big problem there was the pitching staff, right? I mean, you didn't have a guy that was well, really capable of well, going on doing no, this I, I, th I think you did. I mean, you, you had Cueto and you had Matt Latos in that group in, in, that, in that vein. But if you recall, I mean, go back to that playoff series with the Giants, Matt Latos gives up the grand slam. He had a chance to do what Trevor Bauer did last night, which is come up big. And unfortunately it was the exact opposite. He, 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 he turned things around in a negative fashion. So right. yeah, I, I just, I, I think to me last night and, and Jose Rio are the two for me that, that stand out for sure. Clearly. Well, and, and that's my point. Uh, what you mentioned with Lados and then even Quaida, you got him dropping the ball on the mound in Pittsburgh and everything kind of wilting under the pressure a little bit, not saying they weren't talented pitchers who had uh, decent moments for the Reds, but the Reds did not have those studs at the top of the rotation that, you felt confident in taking the ball in that type of situation. I mean, even as good as Cueto was at times, it still wasn't the same feeling you get when you've got Bauer 
going this year. I mean, he is the most and, and the way Castillo, pitcher in the National League right now. No question. And the way Castillo's throwing it now and the way Sonny Gray threw it earlier, if you can get all three of them going, um, these short series, man, those three guys at the top, that's a pretty good one, two, three punch to throw at opposing teams. And I think that's what we've all talked about. Get in the playoffs with that one, two, three at the top. I'll take my chances against anybody. That includes the Dodgers. Well, the Reds are in position for a wild card playoff berth after taking two of three from the Brewers if the playoffs were to start today. After day off, as we're recording this on Thursday, Cincinnati will finish with three games in Minnesota and a chance to clinch a spot in the postseason. Skinny, looking forward now, what would make this season a success at this point? I think at least winning a playoff series, because I I think we all believed this was a team capable of making the playoffs, certainly being in contention, and honestly, probably being in contention more than they were this year, Um, you know, the way it it, it played out. Uh, This team on paper, I think, is, is... is, is nowhere near a 500 team, which is where it's going to basically finish the regular season, maybe a game or two above, and hopefully that's the case because then you're not sweating getting in. So, yeah, I, I think based on the way they've played the last two weeks, the fact that they're, they're pretty healthy now, right? I mean, in fact, they're as fully healthy as they've been probably all season. Right. Uh, I, I think winning, at, least, at least winning a series, I think, is, is, is expectation, maybe even more than that. I, I'd be disappointed if they got in and – got swept and lost two games to none, or even, I mean, you even just lost that first series when you're throwing Bauer, Castillo, and Sonny Gray. I mean, those are three guys that a lot of teams can't match up with. So, yeah, at least a series, at least. Well, I mean, if things stand as they are now, they'd likely be taking on the Dodgers in the first yeah, round. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think the way it would shake out, though, Rick, based on who's playing who, if I looked at it, right, if they win this twin series, I think they'll end up as the seventh seed and, and, and play um, – who would be the suit? Be the probably the Cubs. I, I'll take my chances with the Cubs. Yeah, uh, looking at it right now, um, the Braves or the Cubs. The Braves are right now the second play, the second okay, seed in the National I'll, League. I'll, I'll take my chances. The, the Braves just lost one of their other pitchers last night. The Freed kid left after an inning. So I'll, I'll yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. They tie with the Giants or uh, jump them, and and really the Cardinals are still in play here too. They took, could take the second spot in the Central. That's still. correct. That, that's uh, that's correct. very much. So in there's play. a lot. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot still in play. Just as long as as long as you're not facing the Dodgers. But like I said, if you're the Dodgers, I'm not sure I want to play, play a three-game series with the Reds in that starting pitching. I, I, that would be awful scary for a team as good and with as high aspirations as the Dodgers have and as much money as the Dodgers have spent. That would be a very tough first-round matchup for them. Yeah, I saw our buddy Lance McAllister send out that tweet last night of they're like that team in the NCAA tournament that everyone always talks about that goes, oh, you don't want to see them as an 8-9. Right, you know, right. They're very much that team. They are – when you have that type of pitching at the top and just enough offense, which is what they're getting right now, the offense still isn't great. I mean, they're home runner nothing at the moment, which is kind of how they're built to an extent. But if they get just enough from this offense, just just enough to scare you with the middle of that lineup, if Vado's hitting just enough, which he has been recently, and Suarez is still dangerous, which he has been recently, hit two home runs in two of the last three games. And then you got Castellanos and Moustakis. You've got just enough to go with that starting pitching yes. that you're right. I mean, it absolutely scares you, even if you're the Dodgers. And if you're not the Dodgers, if you are the, the Cubs or the Braves, then that series becomes really interesting. So I'm with you. I think it is win a series. I don't think, you know, my expectations from the beginning of the season should necessarily change just because the Reds started off so poorly. The fact that they found a way to back into the playoffs is great. It's brought a lot of excitement at the end of the year. It's made it a lot more fun here over the last two weeks as opposed to what we dealt with for the first month and a half. But at the same time, the expectations should still be where they were at the beginning of the season. I don't think we just say, 
oh, they made the playoffs, that made us a success. I mean, it's certainly enough to to save David Bell's job, I think. And yes. I don't think he's in any type of danger or anything like that. But if they did, you know, phase out in, in the first round, I, I think it would still be kind of a disappointment for this team, the money they spent, and, and certainly the pitching that they have at the top. Yeah, and, and uh, the other part is it's not like they're limping in. If, if this was a team that, that suddenly backed in and, and was dealing with injuries and you're like, well, hey, they, they fought their way in and they fought their way through injuries. No, this is – I mean, you're now having to make – Dave Bell's now having to make decisions on a nightly basis of Aquino or Senzel. I mean, he's having to make decisions that are a little bit tougher than just going, man, who are my nine guys I can write on a lineup card today? I'm going to write these guys in because I got nobody else. I'll write Goodwin in or I'll write Mark, Mark Payton in or I'll write uh, uh, Travis Jankowski in. No, I mean, now he's having to make decisions, and that's a good thing because it means you've got all your guys on deck. And, you know, Sonny Gray's now back after being hurt. Um, no, I – uh, this is this yeah this is kind of like Kentucky and Wichita the year where Kentucky was what the eight nine seed and Wichita was the was the one and uh, Wichita's probably thinking well, this is what we got for our second round matchup boy this is a great thing to have earned so yeah I'm, I'm with you I think I think it's the Dodgers I don't think they want to see the Reds I just don't we've been tough on David Bell here on this podcast uh, Twitter has certainly been tough on him throughout this season if you're involved in Reds Twitter at all what are your thoughts now I mean certainly they hasn't found changed. a way to string some wins together. Do you think he's done a decent job down the stretch? I don't. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll go to Monday's game. I, I, I thought that they should have bunted to get a run early in that game. I mean, they're giving, they're giving Goodwin a chance to literally throw one to the third baseline. Suarez is 90% down the line. He can skip the home plate. The only guy that can defend it's the pitcher. And yeah, he might throw Goodwin out at first, but in a game where Castillo looked like he was dealing early, I'm getting me a run, especially with a guy that strikes out as much as Goodwin does. And I know it's the, well, guys don't practice, but I'm tired of hearing that. Not. I'm just tired of it. Um, if he can't, then you know what? Get somebody up there who can. I don't even care if you got a pinch hit for the son of a gun at that point. It's third inning, I realize, whatever, second inning. Uh, but no, it really hasn't. Um, I will say, you know, some of it is when he's gone to the bullpen, it's a matter of guys who you should be counting on you couldn't count on early and now those guys Rizel Iglesias among them are doing the job so some of that's out of his control but um, I still think he makes a lot of goofy decisions and um, uh, again you got to give credit that they're going to go to the playoffs if they do and he deserves at least that for for I guess keeping the ship afloat and and he he keeps talking about trusting the process and um, if that's the case he trusted it enough to to get him into it so I just don't know if I trust him in the end of, of, of meaningful games, making the right decisions and, and pushing the right buttons. I just, I have a hard time thinking that's going to happen. Maybe it will. The first, one thing I will give him credit for the first game against the Brewers. I love where he brought Rizel Iglesias into the eighth inning, the most high leverage yes. point of yeah. the game where yeah. they needed him yeah. the most. He got him out of that situation and the Reds got some insurance runs. So, okay. Well, now we, we'll, we'll go to someone else to finish the game off. We don't need our, exactly. our stud closer anymore. I thought that was fantastic use of the bullpen and you still were able to save your arm after that. You didn't have to throw Rizel a bunch of pitches. So he was still but fresh. Who's, who's, who's been calling for doing that all along? I have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's not really that hard to do, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's, it just seems to be common sense. And for whatever reason, a lot of baseball managers are just stubborn about the roles that they have their guys in. Uh, but that was one time where I thought he was flexible no, with that. Yeah. And uh, I really liked the way he handled that. So no, that, I wanted to give fair. him a little shout out for that. But I, I mean, I get your point. I think a lot of people are still frustrated with some of the decision-making a lot of the overdoing it with the lefty, righty, righty, lefty stuff. So uh, we'll see. I mean, I think he certainly saved himself with the way they've uh, turned this around. I don't know that they were, they're actually going to get rid of him 
um, if the Reds missed the postseason this no, year. But I think it would have been talked about at least. I think I'm a big fairness guy, and honestly, if he gets him to the playoffs, I, you can't fire a guy getting him to the playoffs, no, whether you, you not like in his decisions or not. Yeah, right. I, no, no. I, in, in all fairness, he gets him to the playoffs. He gets at least a chance to come back next year for sure. I, I have no problem with that. All right, let's switch gears here. The 0-2 Cincinnati Bengals will travel to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles on Sunday at 1 p.m. in a game that can be seen on Local 12. The Eagles blew a 17-0 lead against Washington in Week 1 to lose 27-17. They followed that up by getting stomped by the Rams 37-19 last week. Multiple publications have posted columns over the last few days touting the Eagles as a team capable of overcoming an 0-2 start to still make the playoffs. Skinny, what do you think about the Eagles? Are the Bengals getting a playoff-bound team that's overdue for a win or one of the weaker teams in the NFL this year? I'm, I'm tending towards, I don't want to say one of the weaker teams in the NFL. I think they're still capable of winning the, the NFC East, I think. But that and has I more pick, to do with the NFC East than it does that. Yes, that, and that's what I was going to say. Yeah. That's, that's probably more, you know, an 8-8, eight 9-7 and eight, nine and seven is going to get it done in the, in the AFC East. And part of it is you're going to beat Washington twice. Um, and you're going to be, even though they blew a lead to Washington in the first game, 17 nothing, and you're going to play the Giants twice. Um, I don't, I, I just don't, I watched them a chunk on Sunday. I was flipping through red zone a bunch, and it felt like they were always on because the Rams were always in the red zone. So, um, <laughs> It, they just they, there's there's something lacking on defense. Obviously, they've had some issues on offense. They they have moved Jason Peters back to left tackle, um, but they're really weak at the guard spots. Uh, I, you know, Zach Taylor was asked about that offensive line yesterday, and he kind of soft shooted. And he is right. I mean, there are three Pro Bowl players still across that offensive line, but the two guards are not. The two guards are either a rookie or a journeyman um, that, that are going to start in there. They haven't run it great. Carson Wentz has not has not been dynamic. Um, they don't have a lot of outside weapons. I no, I, I just I, I think this is a winnable game for the Bengals. I, I do, but it's also a Bengals team that's you know, losing's contagious. And until you can go get a win and steal a win, um, you know, it, it's 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 a I think it's a learned trait. And this team just hasn't learned how to do that in the Zach Taylor era yet. So I think that makes it even tougher. But I don't think look if they, if they were going to play Baltimore this week, and obviously that game's not too far on the horizon for them. Um, I, I would think, you know, no, no chance. But this one, yeah, I, I think they're playing a team they can go beat if they play well. I think that's the, the right read on this. To me, the Eagles are around a 500 team. Um, could they be 9-7? and seven? Sure. Yeah. Could they or be could they be 6-10? and 10? Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're somewhere around that range, and it's going to be a couple games difference either way, which, I mean, in fairness, that's the way it is for a lot of the NFL. But I think yeah. that's the way you look at the NFL now. There's the, the teams that are pretty darn good. There's the teams that are pretty darn bad. And there's those teams that are in the middle that are going to be somewhere around 500 that find a way to either win a few games or lose a few games that tells the difference in the story of their season. And for the Eagles, it's a very winnable game for the Bengals. I, I, I think Carson Wentz has just not been the guy that they want him to be yet. Um, and I'm not saying he doesn't have that potential. I think there are some reasons for that around him. But he has not been the type of player that can elevate the guys around him, the, the, the lack of playmakers around him, the – the inexperience at offensive line that's in front of him. He's just not handling that well. What do you think about the decision to stay with him instead of Foles? Did you like that idea or do you think they got rid of the wrong guy? No, I think they got, they, they, they kept the right guy. I mean, they drafted him there for a reason. He did have a great year before he got hurt and Foles deserves the credit for what he did in the, in the postseason that year. But no, they kept, I, in my opinion, they kept the right guy. You drafted him for a reason. And, and honestly that year he was really good till he got hurt and, who knows if he might have finished off that year uh, with a Super Bowl champion. Maybe not. Maybe he'd have been the reason they wouldn't have won the Super Bowl, for goodness sakes. But no, I, I do think they kept the right guy. But he's not, he's not lived up to that um, uh, to, to this point, to be honest with you, other than that one year where he got hurt in the Super Bowl year. Yeah, and I, I agree with that for the most part. Although, I'm kind of in the boat of 
I mean, Nick Foles can't even beat out Mitch Trubisky, for goodness sakes. <laughs> I'm kind of in the boat, though, of a lot of quarter, unless you have like a truly top tier quarterback, a lot of the difference between the average type quarterbacks in the NFL are the guys that can make the big plays and win you games. And Nick Foles showed the ability to do that in the biggest stage. So to a certain extent, unless you really felt Carson Wentz was had the chance to be a stud, which I think the Eagles did. um, And that's why they stuck with him. Then I don't know that I would have gotten rid of Nick Foles. Uh, And, and to me, I was just never as high on Carson Wentz as the Eagles were. So I'm not saying it was a terrible decision, but it was certainly one I questioned at the time. And as, time goes on I continue to question it more and more I'm interested to see if he can turn it around that being said for the Bengals sake this week I don't necessarily think the Bengals are going to come out here and get a win but I do think it is at least a winnable game on a schedule that doesn't have a ton of those for this team I mean there were a lot of veterans that have talked since Thursday and guys who came from playoff teams you know we talked to Von Bell who was on three playoff teams in four years in New Orleans we talked to Josh Bynes, who came off that great Ravens team last year. We talked to DJ Reader, who was on three playoff teams in four years in Houston. Guys that, that have been on playoff teams, and, um, you know, they, they know what it takes to win, and they sounded, you know, pretty pissed off about, you know, being 0-2. And, yeah, some of it I can point to Josh Bynes and go, dude, go make a play for your team, for goodness sakes. I mean, you can, you can change this narrative. But it just it, – it, it had a different vibe to it. It just didn't feel like they were very comfortable with what, what, what has taken place to lose the two games that I think everybody felt when you look back – they could have won either one of those games. So maybe that it is the line of demarcation is that 0-2 start, and, and Sunday's a chance to prove it. But you can talk about that all you want until you go actually do it and put something in that left-hand column. You're still a team that's, that, that finds ways to lose rather than finds ways to win. So you want to you make a statement? Go win this football game. Well, Zach Taylor announced that Fred Johnson will make his second straight start at right guard on Sunday, even though he appeared to struggle against the Browns and even though Billy Price is healthy after dealing with an ankle issue leading up to the Browns game. Quote, he's been fighting for spots since he's been here. We look forward to getting Fred an actual day of practice at right guard, Taylor said. We had that short week. We never put on the pads or hit or anything, so he's only going to get better with every single practice and every single game. So we're going to give him another shot there. Skinny, what do you think of the Bengals' decision to start Fred Johnson at right guard again this week? I think that that's what they want to see. I don't think they, they, they feel like they gave him a fair shake last week with just walkthroughs and no real practices leading up to that Browns game and throwing him in the starting lineup. I know the Billy Price people are, are up in arms. I, I, I see them on Twitter. I understand the reaction to it. Um, you know, Billy came in, I thought, in the San Diego or the Los Angeles game, the Chargers game, and, and played pretty well when Xavier Suafilo went down. But I, I guess I got to remind people of a couple things. Billy Price lost his starting job at center to an undrafted free agent in Trey Hopkins, who was really never a center to begin with, right? I mean, he lost that job. It was his job as a rookie. He lost it, he lost it after his first year, okay? He's gotten some chances to play guard, and I think he's done okay. But, I, I, you know, I, I think for them, they see way more upside in Fred Johnson with his size, his athleticism. And I think they want to give him a fair shake. And you've made this point, and I know it's – it's, and I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm just saying this in general. It's easy for people to say, well, let's see what we got until you actually throw guys in and let's see what we got means you're going to get another chance to see what they've got, and you don't like that thing. I, I think this is a year of let's see what we got. And in throwing a guy in on a short week and saying, well, that was your only chance – I don't think is right. And again, I think they really like what they've got in Fred Johnson and they want to see it over a period of time, not just one quarter, not just one game where he got thrown in the mix on a, on a short week, uh, maybe a week where he's got a full practice. He's got a chance to, to get some reps in practice. Um, he's already seen some live, live action in, for 88 snaps in, in a game like he did on, on, uh, on Thursday. And so they throw him in. I mean, let's not forget, 
as much as we, we didn't think the Bengals' offensive line blocked well, and at times they didn't, old boy dropped back 64 times and was sacked three times. He was hit a few more, but when you drop back 61 freaking times, you're going to get hit. I mean, you're going to get hit. Carson Wentz got sacked eight times in the first game of this season, for goodness sakes. So they, they also scored 30 points. They scored six times out of nine possessions. They scored points in that game. Somebody's got to be blocking somebody, Rick, and he was part of that, right? I, I, I know what people, you know, I know what your eyeballs see, but my eyeballs also see six, point, six times scoring in nine possessions in the NFL. Sign me up right now, and I don't care who's on the – I don't care if it's Fred Flintstone playing right guard. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if, they're, if you're going to score six times in nine possessions, I'm good with that. And so I think they want to see what they got in Fred Johnson. And, you know, I, I, I always love – everybody loves the guy that's not getting the chance, you know, or, or it feels that are getting slotted. Remember the, the, all the outrage over the great Christian Westerman? Why is he not playing? Uh, you know, there, there were some people out there that, that swore up and down he was the best guard they have. Where, where's he at today? I don't even know where the hell he's at today. The he might great be Christian somewhere. Westerman. Yeah, the great Christian Westerman. So I, I, I know people are up in arms with this. I get it because you don't trust their decision-making with Bobby Hart even though there really is no other option than Bobby Hart. The other option is Fred Johnson, and they like Fred Johnson at guard. So, voila, here we are. Uh, breaking news, it looks like the Bengals are reaching out to free agent guard Barney Rubble, looking to pick him up. To- <laughs> but Barney, Barney's, got, was- Barney's, Barney's got some hops. Yeah, Fred Flintstone was not available, so they are going with uh, Barney Rubble. Um, I think there are a few separate things going on here. Um, the, the thing I continue to see is people treating Fred Johnson and a, a bad highlight or low light, I should say, from last week's game or two, the same as Bobby Hart. And those are two very different situations. Bobby Hart proved he was one of the worst offensive linemen on one of the worst offensive lines in football when he was with the Giants. The Bengals decided he still had value. He's since proven he is still one of the worst offensive linemen on one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL since he's been with the Bengals. The guy's had time and time again to prove himself, and it just so happens that off the field, he is a piece of total trash as well. So that's that's a different situation from a guy who was just drafted last year, who showed a little bit of promise at the end of last season, and who they came into this season without drafting another young offensive lineman in the second or third round this year because they wanted to know what they had in this guy. And to your point, I think they're doing the right thing here by giving him extended opportunity. And I don't even think that just means one game. Fred Johnson is a guy that, first of all, one or two clips where he's getting blown by in the NFL isn't the end of the world. Like, it happens. These pass rushers are really good. And like you said, when you're dropping back to pass block 60 times in a game against these types of guy, you're, guys, you're going to look stupid, especially if you're young. And especially if you're Fred Johnson's size. So that's going to happen. I'd also challenge you to watch the run game closely from last week. They didn't run it a whole lot, but on the times that they did, he can move some bodies when they're running. He's a big man. He's a a big man. Yeah. Run blocking, pass blocking are two different things for Fred Johnson. The run blocking, I see why they like him. That dude is explosive and he's huge and and it makes some sense. The pass blocking, it's a work in progress for sure. Uh, But I also don't think it was quite as bad as maybe the one or two clips that got shared around Twitter made it out to look. And so, yes, they should get Bobby Hart the hell out of there. I'm tired of watching it. I'm tired of seeing him get embarrassed every single week when the Bengals play. But Fred Johnson is a different story. That was really his first chance on short rest, and it was one or two clips mixed in with some other good things that he did throughout the game. I think Fred Johnson deserves a shot. Now, at the same time, if you're Billy Price, what's this say? 
I think it says that the coaching staff has zero faith in you. I mean, to be quite honest, the, the way Billy Price has been handled, I, I, I think that's kind of what it says. And maybe that's fair because like you said, he was a guy drafted in the first round. He was given a starting spot very early in his career and he lost that job. And got beat out, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, maybe it's fair that they don't have a lot of faith in him. Maybe he's already had the chance to prove himself, and he just hasn't done it. Now, I will go back to that opening game where he filled in for Xavier Suofilo against the Chargers, and he seemed to be an upgrade at right guard. I would have thought that earned him another shot, but that's the coaching staff's decision to make, and I'm fine with them saying, look, he's had a shot, and we just don't trust him. But if you're, you're Billy Price, I certainly feel like you would – kind of be looking elsewhere at this point and say, I, I have no future with this team. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's got one more year on his rookie contract next year. I think you keep him around because it's probably a, a team-friendly deal. It usually is with those rookie contracts, even though he's a first-rounder. And he still does provide value as a backup at, at three positions, both guard spots and center. And um, I, I don't discount that. But, yeah, I think the future is a starter. He's going to have to, when he goes back in, really show something to, to in order to, to maintain it. Now, I could also argue that – if you wanted to make some real changes, maybe Billy plays right guard and Fred plays right tackle. Let's see what yeah. we got there. But I That's think what for I'd them, like to they, see, to be honest. I, I, I think they want to see Fred as an extent. I think, you know, when Fred was signed off the off Pittsburgh's practice squad, um, he, he actually came with a guard designation, and then they tried to make him a tackle. Um, so he's really probably better suited, I guess, with, even though he, I, I would think he's better suited for tackle at six foot seven and pretty long arms and, and pretty good looking feet and all that stuff. But for whatever reason, it seems like he's more slotted for guard. So, and, and again, you've made this point. Let's see what we got. So if we come out of this year, Rick, if you come out of the end of this year of going, got something left tackling at Jonah Williams. Hey, the left guard, Michael Jordan, he's more than serviceable. Trey Hopkins, we know he's a solid center. And boy, Fred Johnson really showed himself at right guard. You go in the offseason and then need to fix one offensive line spot, right? I, I want to find out if that's all you got to fix. Yeah, I mean, if the, if the solution is you need a right tackle, you can go out and spend your first pick yes. overall on a right tackle. and, and Or go, really, go get one in free agency. Yeah. yeah, and feel really good about this. No, I don't, I'm not as confident that that is the situation, but you have to know. I mean, that's why you didn't add on this year in terms of your offensive line. That's why you spent so much money on the defense this year right. and, and other positions is because you needed to figure out what you had. So I'm, I am all for playing Fred Johnson as much as you need to to figure out what you have in him. And, and by the way, what are the other options? I mean, it's Billy Price, and then they've got a rookie. What's the rookie's name? Uh, Hakeem Adenajay. Thank yeah. you. It's, I always struggle to say that. Um, he, he, I'd like to see him at some point, but I, I don't think that has to be right now. It does not. That's correct. I think let's see what we got in Fred Johnson. Um, and let's see it for a, a couple of weeks here. Let's give him a couple of weeks of practice, a couple of weeks of reps, a couple of weeks of, of playing. And like I said, I mean, they didn't lose. They didn't lose Thursday's game because of the offense. Right. I mean, they lost it because they couldn't stop the run. Yes. I mean, that's bottom line. The, the defense lost that game on, on Thursday night. So, uh, you know, if, if they'd have come out of that game scoring three points and Joe getting sacked 10 times and hit another 15 times, I just said, yeah, I think he technically, Rick, he got sacked three times. That's not technically. He actually got sacked three times. I think he got hit officially on three other plays, which is called a quarterback hit. He might have gotten knocked down on a couple others when the ball was out. But that, again, in 64 dropbacks, and that includes the 61 attempts and then the three sacks, on 64 dropbacks to get hit six, seven, eight, nine times, that's not a real high percentage, man, especially when yeah. the other team's teeing off knowing you're going to throw. And, and I'm with you on that to an extent. I mean, the numbers are the numbers. You have, to get, you have to give the offensive line some credit there. At the same time, I will give a lot of credit to Joe Burrow there. Oh, I agree with that. I no, mean, no, that dude right. is doing a yes. lot to yes. avoid pressure. And yes. I think there's something to be said about the quality of dropbacks. You know, yeah, he dropped back 60-plus times, but not many of those were times where he really had – chance to set his feet in the pocket and rip you know i mean yeah, it's fair. a lot of him yeah. running for his life and making something happen or at least trying to so 
No, I, I'll give you. I had a lot of quick passes, too. So you're right. Yeah, that, that's fair. All right, Skinny. From NFL to college football, there won't be any non-conference games this year for the 14 SEC schools, so the season will get started with a bang when they take the field for the first time on Saturday. Kentucky will travel to Auburn for a noon kickoff. The 23rd-ranked Wildcats were picked to finish fourth in the SEC East. There aren't any totals available if you're going to sports books and look at, looking for futures bets. At least none that I could find at the. Well, the and I, I think I the use. reason. Yeah, I think the reason for that probably is is even if they were setting totals, they probably have to cancel so many bets when teams are canceling games right. that it wouldn't be worth it for them to put them up. So it, yeah, it makes a lot of I sense. I saw that too. I noticed that too, and I was a little disappointed. But then when I started to think about it, I thought, yeah, okay. And we're seeing it play out. I mean, it feels like every week we're, we're losing at least a game or two. I mean, it's, it's going on as well as I could have hoped college football, but I think we're going to still have that happen moving forward. You're going to just lose a game or two every week. And I think that's why they did that. Yeah. I, I, I totally understand it. But at the same time, for the purpose of this podcast, we always like to talk about the win totals oh, yeah. when we're talking oh, yeah. about a team's expectations. So let's set a win total for Kentucky. What do you think is a reasonable expectation for the Wildcats over the course of their 10 game all SEC schedule. Yeah, I mean, this is arguably on paper one of the one of the best teams they've had, and that includes the Benny Snell team from a couple of years ago. I mean, they had uh, two offensive linemen pick first team all SEC preseason, another one picked second team. They had a couple of defensive players picked uh, second team all SEC. They get the quarterback, who's a true quarterback, and Terry Wilson back. Um, you know, they got running backs back. They've got good wide receivers. They're deep in the secondary. I mean, this is a really good Kentucky team. And I say that with the caveat of that still doesn't mean they're going to have a winning record in this schedule this year. Right. You've traded out what's, what's really, you know, they always schedule basically three automatic wins outside the league, then play Louisville as the fourth game. And that's, you know, it feels like that series goes back and forth. One team dominates for three years. The other team comes back and dominates for the next three years. So that's always a toss-up game. And depending on the year, you know, maybe you are that much better than the other. So in theory, in the, in the, in the perfect year, they can go 4-0 non-league. Then go three and five in the league, get your seven and five and go to a bowl. You have the magical year of a couple years ago where they were playing for the SEC East Championship against Georgia at home. And Georgia was clearly a better team and dominated that day and didn't take away from what UK did that season. Um, you know, went into the, won the bowl game over Penn State and that, that's a big deal and um, should be celebrated as such. But now you're trading out Eastern Michigan and another Mac school and an OVC school for Alabama and Auburn and <laughs> old, I mean, honestly, you really are. And yeah. so, I mean, if you look at the East, they're always playing those teams, six games, and they always play Mississippi state from the West. And then they have a rotating team from the West. They play uh, in a two year rotation home and home. So in this year, in this all sec schedule, you're still playing the six from the East. And then you get from the West, you get Alabama, you get Auburn, you get Ole Miss and you get Mississippi state. At least they don't have to play LSU. That would have been another killer. So you're trading you're trading three wins for three really difficult games. I don't know if Ole Miss is so difficult. In fact, it's at home, and I think Kentucky's clearly better um, on all of those things. So I'll, I'll even give that a win. But it's certainly not Ole Miss no, but, is certainly not Eastern Michigan for goodness' right. sake. Right. At what point in in the history of UK football are we just calling SEC games automatic wins for UK? I Vandy, mean, Vandy, most of the time, but not even and, that's all the time. Right, and that's about it. I mean, so yeah, none of these games can you chalk up as automatic wins, uh, but you got a 10 game slate here. I mean, I think a normal good UK season could be four and six over this slate. But like you said, you yes. add in the four non-conference games and you're eight and six and you're, you're okay. Um, in this scenario though, what, I think they think? can, I, I think they can get five wins. I, I do. Okay, so I, are you I, think, set, I, I think that's the right number. Are you setting at four and a half or five and a half as the over? 
Ooh, man. I'll set it at five and a half because I have a scenario that could get a six. It's a, it's a price scenario I don't like, and I'd probably, if it was five and a half, I'd take the under. And if it was four and a half, I'd probably take the over. Although Same. I, I, feel, I think I'd feel better if it's five and a half taking the under than I would if it's four and a half taking the over, as goofy as that sounds. Um, I do think that they, you know, I think they're better than Vandy. I think they're better than Missouri, although I think they have to play Missouri on the road. Um, uh, they're, they're, they're better than Ole Miss. I think they're better than Mississippi State, and they get those teams at home, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Correct. So there's four wins right there. Um, but then they also have to play Florida and Georgia and Tennessee, a much improved Tennessee, and that Tennessee game's on the road, at Auburn, at Alabama. That's almost five automatic losses right there. I mean, really. Now, I do think that I, I think there is a shot this Saturday they go to Auburn and pull off a win. They do that, then I do think this team can get to six and four. Right. Um, but I, don't, I can't see any scenario any more than six, and, and five is probably a good season. Four, I wouldn't even be mad at. Anything less than four, you're not beating the Missouris and the Vandys and the, and the Old Misses and the Mississippi State at home. I'd be disappointed in that. So I think they at least get to four. I think six is possible, and I'll settle for five and five and, and, and whatever Music City Bowl they go to. I'm, I'm good with that. We have the same read on this. I, I think a perfect scenario in which they, everything goes according to plan, they're six and four. And I think that would include, obviously, you beat Ole Miss, you beat Mississippi State, uh, you beat Missouri, and you beat Vanderbilt as your automatics that you got to have. And then you add in South Carolina there. Oh, South Carolina, too. Yeah, I think they beat South Carolina. Yeah. Well. I think they're better. And that's at home, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's a home game. So that, that's five, actually, right there, now that I look at it. That's five that I feel pretty good about. And then you got you to gotta steal one along the way, whether that be Auburn well, you, you, you ain't or Tennessee. Steal, you ain't stealing Alabama, and you ain't stealing Florida, and you ain't stealing Georgia. Tennessee right. and Auburn, yes. So those are your two swing games, right? Yeah. Yeah, Tennessee and Auburn is one of the two that you got to steal. But that also assumes that they don't have a slip-up against right. one of those five that we mentioned. That's, and that's correct. That's not usually the case with Kentucky and the SEC. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I'd set it at four and a half wins, and I'd hesitantly take the over and think they go five and five. Yeah, I think that's probably where I, I fall with it for sure. It, it's, it's crazy because this, is, this, is, this has a chance to be a really good Kentucky team. So It, it does, and, and I'm excited to watch them. I'm excited to watch the Auburn game. I think it has the potential to be a good football game, but it's, I mean, it's still the SEC. Yep. <laughs> it's, yep. it's going to be tough. All right, let's get into our betting segment. Last week, you crushed it. You went 7-1 and one, um, on our eight picks. You are now 12-6 and six after we both went 500 in the first week. I moved to 8-10. and 10. With a Ooh. rough week, I went three and five myself. But so. but the caveat is we, we had a somebody on Twitter wanted us to, to go off the board for a bet a week. You took a what a three team NFL teaser and hit it. I yep. took a three team college teaser, and I felt really good about that college teaser too, Rick. When Navy came back from twenty four nothing down to, to win, and I was getting yeah. thirteen, yeah. and then I'm looking Georgia, Georgia Tech's tied fourteen all, and I'm getting thirteen in that game, and then all of a sudden Georgia Tech gets obliterated, which then killed the teaser anyway. And then I was really mad because I'm like, I'm going to win the Louisville portion of this. Yeah, gone. I'm getting four in Louisville. Then they lost. So I thought, yeah, yeah, made a bad, bad teaser. You know, sometimes you just chalk it up and move on. But I felt really good after that Navy game. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Well, uh, Georgia Tech cost me too, man. I had them in, in a parlay where they were the only team that didn't hit. And it was for a, it would have been for a nice little chunk. So that was a bummer. Mm. Uh, you did call the Raiders outright win over the Saints, by the way, and the over. You said 27 24. Final score of that one was 34 24. So you had the uh, Saints total dead on. Uh, that was a that was a nice call by you. So let's get it started. Saturday at noon, college football. We just mentioned it. Kentucky at Auburn. The Tigers are seven and a half point favorites. The total is forty nine, and the hook in that game. 
I just think because of Kentucky's returning guys, they got such a nice chunk returning, and especially that offensive line, that they're going to move the football and score some points. And, um, you know, new play caller. I don't think Gus Malzahn's calling plays anymore um, at, at Auburn. He's obviously still, still the head coach, but not calling plays. Um, so that, that may be a change of pace. I, I think I'm going to take Kentucky in the points. Hard for me to pick a win. I, I, the, the, the big fan in me says that, that I think they do win, but I'll go Auburn 27 Kentucky 24. So uh, Kentucky does cover the seven and a half. Oh, wow. We're really close on this one. Um, you've got the over two there. Um, yep. my, my number is slightly different. I've got Auburn 27 Kentucky 21. So I agree that UK covers, but I've got it just under by a point and a half. So a uh, slight difference there. Saturday at three 30, we've got army at Cincinnati. And I think we are both excited about this game because coming into the season, I don't think a lot of people expected army to be as good as they've looked over the first two weeks, but this now shapes up to be a legitimate test for the Bearcats early in the season on a slate where they don't have a whole lot of tests. When the Nebraska game got wiped out, uh, this should be an exciting matchup. Bearcats are 14 point favorites. 45 and a half is the total. What do you think, Skinny? Yeah, it, it's good for UC. They at least got a game under their belt. I mean, they got a chance to get a bunch of guys in. Um, I know for some, maybe it's alarming that Austin P scored 20, but Look, when you play these blowout games, to, to me, the, the only thing I take out of it is really what what'd you do when the game really mattered and you see really dominated that game. They did give up some some big plays, both in the pass game and, and the long touchdown run, and I guess that's a little bit alarming. But but you're also dealing with an UC Austin P team. team that had played two games. Correct. Yeah, yeah. No, first, I, so. look, UC did exactly what UC should have done. They had great balance. They dominated that game with Austin P. Depending on what you got the line, I feel bad for you because it went from the 33-and-a-half I got it at to uh, up to 40, I think it closed that. So a lot of people threw money UC's way in that game. And, and if you didn't get it at the right time, it, it cost you, especially when Austin P scored a late touchdown. But I tell you, Army's really good. They, they've got that option offense, which I know Marcus Freeman's done great jobs against in, in his career as a defensive coordinator. Uh, but they also have a really good defense to go along with it. I, I think it's a tough game. I think UC does find a way to win. I'll go Bearcats 24-17. So I'm going to go Army to cover and the under. All right, so you we are actually on the opposite side of this one completely. I'm with you on Marcus Freeman against the option. I, that gives me a lot of confidence here that UC will be able to do enough defensively. Even though they gave up some big chunk plays in that first game, I think they'll be a lot sharper the second time around. Plus, you're not going to be subbing nearly as much, which you, you're playing your first game. You got guys running all over the place in and out of the, of the game. It's a lot tougher, I think, to be sharp. So I, I think their defense will do enough here. I'm going to say they just covered that number, although I I think it could go either way. This is one I think. I actually end up teasing at the casino last night, full disclosure. I didn't take UC straight up. I just teased it um, and took them down to eight. So I, I have them by eight. But uh, I'm going to go UC 35, Army 20 for the sake of our pick here and say UC and the over. Um, you know, we, what, what other caveat, too, I, I, on a selfish standpoint, there's, there's a bunch of national games this week because the SEC is obviously playing for the first time. But it, for me personally, it's great. UK's on at noon. UC's on at 3.30. I probably won't budge from noon till midnight. And, and that's a good way to start my college football day with that as a back-to-back doubleheader. Oh, it's, it's going to be another great Saturday of football. There's no question about that. There, it is spread out really nicely, especially the games that I bet. I kind of got one or two big games in each time slot, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, let's move on to the NFL. We got the Thursday night game at 820. It is Miami at Jacksonville. The Jags are giving three points at home. Uh, 48 is the total. 
Uh, give me some Minshew mania, man. I, you know, the, the, the Dolphins, um, they played Buffalo tough, which I thought they would do. I, I thought they'd cover that game. It was a backdoor cover, but they did find a way to cover. Didn't play great up in New England in week one offensively. Did do a pretty good job against Cam Newton in that offense, which Seattle didn't do. Um, but Miami just feels like it's kind of like in that Bengal mode. They just can't find ways to win. And while Jacksonville's, in theory, trying to tank and doing everything they can, um, I'll tell you, Gardner Minshew's got an extra weapon now. He's got LaVisca Chenault, a rookie-wide receiver who I loved watching last year at Colorado. Um, you know, DJ Sharks in there. They've got Keenan Coles off to a good start. Their offense has been pretty good. And the defense of Miami just doesn't do much for me. Buffalo gashed him at times on Sunday. I'm, I'm going to go – I'll go Jacksonville. I'll go Jacksonville 30, Dolphins 20. So, Jacksonville and the over for me. Yeah, I like the over in this game too. And I like Jacksonville as well. Um, I don't have a ton of confidence in that play. It's certainly not something I'm going to be betting on my own. But Jacksonville 28, Miami 24 is where I'd be at on this one. Mm, and sweat uh, it. Sweat yeah, it. I, I, I think it's going to be tight, but – I'm not. I'm not. I'm with you. I'm not buying Miami can get over the hump and win one. Uh, I don't think Jacksonville's very good, but they'll they'll do enough to get it done. That brings us to our Sunday local game, 1 p.m. Cincinnati at Philadelphia. The Eagles are a five point favorite. The total is 46. Yeah, it's down to four and a half as I'm looking at it, Rick. But we'll go with the five number. And actually, I think it opened at six or six and a half. So a lot of people jumping on that Bengals side of it. Well, the Bengals are 0 and 2. Keep in mind, they are 2 and 0 against the spread. Um, you know, barely covered in the Charger game, but did cover. They were getting six and a half or six, depending on where you got it on Thursday night against the Browns and got the backdoor cover there. I, I think they find a way to hang around. I just can't until they start winning. I can't pick them to win. Um, but I do think they hang around, make life tough for the Eagles. I'll go. Uh, I'll go Eagles 27, Bengals 24 in that one. Same scores I think I just gave for, for a, uh, a game earlier. I, I, yeah, 27-24 Eagles. Um, Bengals get the cover, but again, don't get the win. I, I, I just have a hard time picking them until they can find a way to win games. All right, so you've got the over there as well. I think this is a situation where everyone's looking at Philly's struggles. They're looking at Joe Burrow, how well he's played, covered the first two weeks, and uh, they're they're – they're reading too much into it. I, I think this is the time to buy Philly on a good deal. The, the spread is lower than what the Bengals were against the Browns. Right. The Browns were a uh, six-point favorite um, when that game went off, I believe. So to say that Philly's, Philly's gotten beat by, by double digits, though, in, in back-to-back games. That's, I know, but do you think they're worse than the Browns? I, I think don't. they've played worse than the Browns. Mm, maybe, but uh, I, 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 mean, I don't Let see me just that. say something. Washington is horrible. Horrible. No doubt. And they blew a seven they blew a seventeen nothing lead and lost twenty seven seventeen. No doubt. And of course last week makes it a little harder to look past that game as just a blip on the radar. And that's where I would think you, you just got your ass handed to you by a division rival that you should have beaten nine times out of ten or nineteen times out of twenty. You're at home for your first game. I know there are no fans, and you lay a complete egg. And look, I think the Rams to their credit. I thought they were kind of in the fade mode last year. I thought they were going to fade, and they did, and I kind of thought they were in that same boat. They've come out with two very impressive performances to start this year and win. Yeah. So maybe it does say more about the Rams than it does about the Eagles. But That's how I feel. Ass. They kick their ass. I agree, but I'm, I'm pretty high on the Rams. I think they're good. I think McVay's good. I, I just look at this Philly team, and again, it's, it's a team pe- – so a lot of people still think have a chance to maybe make the playoffs, and a lot of that has more to do with the NFC East than it does how good Philly is. But if you're going to get right, this is the week to do it when you start 0-2 and you got Cincinnati coming to your place. I'm going to say the Eagles 31, Bengals 21. So that's Eagles and the over. That brings us to our Sunday night game at 8:20. It's Green Bay at New Orleans. The Saints are three and a half point favorites. The total is 52 in the hook. 
Shh. You know who's playing like he's kicking people's ass because he wants to prove something? Aaron Rodgers. Um, look, I'm going to probably overreact like everybody else to watching Drew Brees on Monday night. Um, but the nah, more man, alarming he's thing, done. He's done. The, the more alarming thing to me is, is how poor the Saints played defensively in that game. And the way Aaron Rodgers is playing right now, he's playing with a lot of confidence. He's believing in, in that, that receiving core that they didn't address in the offseason. And those guys are making plays. Um, three or four different receivers, not just Devontae Adams and, and, and whatnot. It's different guys. And Aaron Rodgers has been great. They got the great running game uh, as well to go along with it. Defensively, they played pretty well the first two weeks. Did, did a nice job with Minnesota. Did a great job this last game against Detroit after falling behind 14-3. to the overreaction side of me says, boy, don't get lured in by the Saints giving a number, um, even though they're home. But the flip side of it says, I think there is some issues with the Saints. I think there is some issue with Drew Brees. And Aaron Rodgers is playing like he's got something to prove. I'm going to go Packers, go down there and get the outright win. I'll go, I'll go Pack, Pack 28-24. So they get the outright win, and it goes – ooh, it stays just – nah, let me go Pack 30-24 because I think it goes over. Yeah, I mean, Green Bay scored – yeah, Green Bay has scored 43 and 42 first two weeks of the season. I'm with you on this game going over, and I also think Green Bay is going to get the outright win. I'm saying Green Bay 34, yep, New Orleans 31. Green Bay and the over is the play there. I thought this game would be, I don't know, maybe one and a half in favor of the Saints, maybe two and a half, uh, possibly even a pick em. I did not yep. expect it to be through the key number of three all the way up to three and a half. Um, in favor of the Saints. So I think that's definitely a good deal for the Packers. It looks almost like a sucker line to me. That's my point. I know it. And but I I'm feel like I'm getting it. reeled in, but I'm taking it. I'm with you. Yeah. All right. Monday at 8.15, we've got the game everyone has been looking forward to since the season kicked off. Kansas City at Baltimore. The Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites. The total is 53-and-a-half. I will say the eyeball test through two weeks tells me Baltimore is head and shoulders above everybody in the NFL, including the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs, who've all they've done really? is win two games themselves. Just really? the eyeball test. I mean, defensively, they've been dominant through two weeks, and I think that's a pretty good Browns offense when all is said and done, and they dominated them. It's a pretty good Houston quarterback. I don't know about them offensively, especially losing DeAndre Hopkins, but they dominated. Um, Lamar Jackson's added the ability to really throw the football. I mean, he's – he looks even sharper than last year. They're not counting on him to run it all the time now, and yet he can do that, and their offense has been great in the first two weeks. Eyeball test tells me that they are the best team in the NFL, but I'm also one that says until somebody dethrones the king, the king is still the king, and Kansas City is still that team. Um, I think some of last Sunday had as much to do with that Chargers defense. Seeing them in person in week one against the Bengals, yeah, we can argue it's the Bengals and their offensive line and the rookie quarterback and all those things. I think some of that is the Chargers defense is pretty damn good. And I think they proved that this past week against Kansas City. But I think Pat Mahomes, he didn't have an sh overly sharp performance. He was great when they needed him to be. I don't think he puts together two performances like that in a row. I, I think Kansas City goes in and beats Baltimore. I'm probably going to be completely – I'm going to probably be laughed at next podcast on this. But I'm going to go Chiefs go in and get the win 30-27 to 27 in a shootout. No, I mean, we're, we're right on the same wavelength on here. I don't know why you think I'd laugh at that at all. I, I'm big on Kansas City. I think they are the best team in the NFL. I disagree with you on Baltimore, although – I'm just saying eyeball, eyeball test first two weeks, man. I've watched a lot of Baltimore the first Yeah, but I, last I think man, part of that has to do with who they've played. I think they've Maybe. played two bad yeah. teams, to be honest Maybe. with you. Um, and th that's not to take much away from them because I think they're the second best team in the NFL. I think these two teams – are clearly the best two teams, and I don't even think there's a close third. To be I don't. E I don't either. I'm, I'm with you. I agree with you. Yeah. So uh, I think this is going to be the game of the year. I'm expecting a shootout to an extent, but th the defenses here aren't bad. Um, 
I'm going to say 27-24. So this stays just under the number, and Kansas City gets the outright win. So they'll definitely be covering that three and a half. Um, I'm looking forward to that one. I just think that is going to be a great game. I don't know that it's great for betters uh, unless you want to play the total um, because it probably is going to be a close game, but uh, it, it's, it should be certainly an entertaining one. All right, All right. so now we, we, we're going off the board, right, for our, for our teaser of the week? Yep, we got to pick our favorite bet of the week. It can be whatever you want. It can be a prop, yeah. it can be a teaser, it can be a parlay, whatever you want to do. I'm going to tell you about my new favorite bet to play. Okay. And it is, you know, we talk about teasers a lot on here. I just discovered this past uh, yesterday on Wednesday when I went to the casino that there is a reverse teaser that you can play, which is oh. taking the odds opposite of your favor, meaning. Yeah, you know, I, I've not, I've not, I know what it is, and I've done that before, but I've not done that there. I've not, I guess I've not noticed it on the machine before. Yeah, I just noticed. I think it might be something they added this year because I did not see it last year as an option. But and so I guess, and, and what happens is then you get really good odds, right? Insane it, 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 odds, yeah. Yes, yeah. So, so what happens um, is, mm. you, you know, like if there's two teams you're really confident in, you think you got a great number on, like there weren't as many games this week. You know, last week there were a couple that I would have been all over in this case. Um, there weren't as many this week, but the two games I landed on was Virginia, who was uh, minus five originally against Duke, who sucks. They lost to Boston College last week. And then Baylor was uh, yes, minus 17 and a half uh, at home against Kansas. And Kansas is god awful. So I teased those both up. Virginia is now minus 11, Baylor minus 23 and a half. Hmm. And you get plus 725 odds. That's that's incredible. Yeah, that's that. Uh, ooh, you're piquing my interest now, bro. Yeah. So the reverse teaser is my new favorite bet. I think I'm going to be playing like one of those a week at least in the college on, on Saturdays. Um, and so there's my my uh, favorite bet of the week. It's Virginia minus eleven, Baylor minus twenty three and a half. Both of them at home. Both playing terrible teams, and you get plus seven twenty five odds. Okay. I'm going to go with the traditional teaser in the NFL three teamer here. I'm going to take them down six points each. I'm going to take the Browns down to one at home against Washington. Um, I'm going to take um, the Cardinals to basically a pick them. They're five and a half against the Lions, looking for them just to win the game. And I'm going to take the Packers up to nine on, on the Sunday night game. Yeah, um, like that's, that. my three, that's, that's my three-teamer of the week. Two teams that just need to win at home, the Cardinals over the Lions, um, the uh, Browns over football team, and then Sunday night take the Packers up to nine. I'd feel good watching that Sunday night game, having my first two in the house, knowing I'm getting nine in Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I'd feel re- if you go in with the first two legs of that one, I'd feel really good about the uh, Sunday night game. So there we go. So those are our two two off the board bets of the week. That's right. And now it is time for our favorite segment of the podcast. It's time for Ask Skinny Anything, where you send us your questions and I pose them to one Richard Skinner. We'll start here. Since we've had some time with all the sports now, how do you feel about crowd noise? Which sports has felt the best and worst without fans? I think the NFL's done it right. I mean, it, there's enough of a murmur um, that, that I can hear. Now, I will say, covering the Bengals game from the press box on, on uh, not this game, the, the home game, um, you couldn't hear anything at all. You could not hear the, the, the crowd noise that was being piped into the stadium. So um, it, it, that felt kind of sterile and weird and strange. But I, I think the NFL's done a pretty good job with that. I think the NBA has, too. Baseball's getting better at it, I guess. And to me, I think when we talked about this initially, I, I said I thought it would be corny and hokey and silly. But it does still give a little ambiance to it. It makes me any more feel – I mean, honestly, watching football games, 
it, I don't even notice there's no crowd, to be quite frank. I really yeah, don't. Until I, they show I, I one mean, of those low sideline yes, angles right, where it shoots right. up in the stands. Yeah, otherwise right. you I mean, literally could care less. It doesn't matter. No, exactly right. So and, I'll, I'll go the NFL has done it right in that regard, but I also think just from a TV perspective, just because of how tight you can get the shot a lot of times, you just don't notice it. You, what you're watching, especially with some crowd noise behind it, it is a football game. feels yeah, normal. The, the NFL broadcast comes off pretty much flawlessly. With, with this, uh, just a little bit of crowd noise in the background piped in, and you can't see the crowd for most of the game. It, it works out great. The NBA is the other one. You can certainly notice it. It looks totally different because you got the big video screens on the sidelines. But to me, it's worked out awesome. I mean, it's almost I mean, it made to... it look cooler, and you don't notice the lack of and, fans and, or the lack get... of energy at all. Yeah, and you get the occasional organ in the background. You get the occasional defense, defense. You get, I mean, you get, you get some noises, so yeah, yeah I'm good with it. And the teams have been getting more into it, treating it like almost like they're high school teams or whatever. They're up right. there hooting and hollering a lot because they're not right on the sideline, so they don't have the get back stuff going on constantly. Right. The refs aren't right. telling them to sit down. No, right. so they're up there jumping around, doing all types of goofy stuff. I think it's added to some of the, the energy. And, of course, it's the playoffs, so guys are amped to begin with. Sure. But the NFL does win, and I'll tell you why. Because when Carson Wentz was struggling this past Sunday, Got his booed. own home stadium – piped in booze they booed him off the field on third and long on an incomplete pass i mean it was just fantastic it was funny i joe burrow was asked about that and, and a lot of times nfl players you know they don't know what what happened in another game he was cl- clearly knew what happened to carson wentz and he was asked you know what, what would happen if that happened to you or would what do you think of that and he said um yeah i think i'd vote against having that happen in my own stadium so he was clearly aware of carson wentz getting booed i guess it was not in the stadium from what i understand it was more the tv uh, side of it that, that got potted up for that. But still, um, that, was, that was really interesting. I thought it was actually a joke. Like someone had like, on no. the internet had taken it and made a meme, you know, like piped in their own audio or whatever. And then I found out it really happened. Uh, that's interesting that it was just on the broadcast and, and not in the stadium because that was yes. one of the most absurdly funny things I think I've yes. ever seen. Uh, very Philly, it's, just perfectly. Yeah, very, very, very Philly, yes. All right, Skinny, your favorite vacation spot and why is it Latonia? Why isn't it Latonia or why is it Latonia? They said, why is it Latonia? Obviously, um, people people <laughs> like to make fun of me because I went to Holy Cross and that's in Latonia. And they call all of Northern Kentucky Latonia on my sacred like board. So. Uh, for, for me, it, it, it's, it's either St. Thomas or Maui. Um, been to Maui three times, uh, which I feel fortunate too. I covered the... Uh, went on vacation once with my parents, once on my honeymoon, and then once when uh, I took my whole family when Kentucky played in the uh, the Maui Invitational back in uh, 02 or 03. I think it was 03 um, was the year, maybe 04 even. But anyway, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's my favorite. I mean, it, you, you just get lost and go, I don't want to go home. Um, it's just, it's just so beautiful and so nice. And it's just so nice to literally, you can go to sleep, uh, with, with the windows open and the, the, the breeze going through your room and wake up and hear the ocean crash and kind of sit on the deck and have a cup of coffee, watch the sunrise. It's just, I love it. And St. Thomas, the same way I was on vacation there. I would get up at six o'clock in the morning, go sit on the, on the balcony of our hotel and watch the uh, cruise ships come rolling in. It was literally, I would set an alarm to get up on my vacation to watch that because it was just beautiful to watch them come in the sun rising the little ocean breeze. So yeah, give me, give me either one of those places. Uh, I mean, when you're talking about elite, Ludlow's a close third in case anybody's wondering. (laughs) When you're talking about elite level tropical places like that, I mean, it's hard to beat, but I wonder if you're just talking about a normal beach trip, like uh, Clearwater, Destin, something in Florida, maybe that versus like a city trip where you're going with a group to watch a game and drink for a weekend. Which are you choosing? Which do you like more? 
Mm. I do like my little my little Bengals trips with with my colleagues that I cover with. We seem to have a find a way to have a really good time each and every trip we go to. One seems to be better than the next, but uh, I'm still taking the beach. Uh, yeah, I'm. I, you give me a chance just just to just to sit on the beach and do nothing and have a cold beer and and then hop in the ocean when you get hot and hop back out. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking that every time. Yeah, I mean, I you know obviously like. I went to Jamaica a couple of years ago for a friend's wedding. That would be my number one vacation spot, but that's not like a realistic vacation spot for me regularly. I'm not going to Jamaica very often. If I've got to choose just like a normal beach trip, like Florida or something like that, I honestly think about that and I'm like, eh, I might prefer New York City. Like when I go to really? this tournament and just like wow. drinking beers at all the bars and, yeah. and hanging out and walking the streets. I, I like city vibes and bar hopping and f- seeing some culture and, yeah, I, I, I'm not opposed to that. I just, if you're talking vacation though, nah, I just need, I, I don't need hustle and bustle. I need quiet and just peaceful and sun and sand. And yeah, I'm, I'm going with that. But I think you're, those, those trips are fun. Don't get me wrong. I mean, covering conference tournaments and NCAA tournaments. Um, I used to love that. You just park your ass in a city on a Tuesday, fly back out on a Sunday, get your laundry done on a Monday and go back and do it again the next week. I love that. Yeah, that's, it's tough to beat. All right, uh, our guy Nick, who often sends this question, says breakfast gets no respect on this podcast, which is sad. So he wants our best breakfast joints and our go-to orders. Uh, breakfast joints, is that what he said? Yeah, uh, like what, where's your favorite breakfast spot? Uh, first watch and it's not even close. I mean, their, really? their, their stuff is so good. Um, I was a Bob Evans guy back in the day, believe it or not, because I liked the way they made their hash browns. Um, yeah, that, that, that's one. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's underrated. You can't do it now because they don't have these anymore because of COVID. You're going to laugh. The Frisch's Breakfast Bar, oh, it's I up there. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Son. Oh, that's a good point. I'm not going to lie. The Frisch's Breakfast Bar is up there, especially the bacon. You know me, I'm a big bacon guy. I'm not a, big bacon. I'm not a big bacon. I mean, I'm not a big breakfast guy. Um, probably at home. I'll bet you I make breakfast maybe twice a month. Um, you know, occasionally I'll have a bowl of cereal with some yogurt in it. Um, you know, that I don't count that as making breakfast. That's just something I, I usually just am one that when I wake up, I, I, I'm a, I have a, it's a glass of chocolate milk and then a couple of cups of coffee. I'm just not a big breakfast eater, but yeah, if I, I mean, do you go, want to just clog you up and then clear you out. That is, that's exactly, that's kind of the way it goes, my friend. Um, so yeah, but yeah, first watch for me is, is, is way, way up there. I, I think it's outstanding. Yeah, I think I just realized why we're not at breakfast podcast. It's because neither one of us eat breakfast very often. I mean, yeah, I work no. overnight, so like pre- normal breakfast time would be, you know, I've been up for 12 hours at that point. So it doesn't happen often. Occasionally during quarantine, uh, we were doing like get up breakfast sandwiches and stuff here, which were nice. But that, interestingly enough, my favorite breakfast spot is Mocha down in Newport and what I get there is more of a brunch or lunch type item. It's a get a grinder, which if oh, you wow. like, I'm not a big get a guy as you know, but wow. Yeah. If you like, like hoagies, basically, yeah. this is yeah, yeah. Uh, really good bun done right. Like you would expect out of a hoagie and then get as the, uh, the meat there. So it's fantastic. I go. highly recommend it, but anything at Mocha is pretty good. Uh, what is the perfect outdoor temperature? I think we can all agree. Low humidity is best, but what temperature? Yes. Uh, what we had a couple of days this week, the 72, I, I played in my golf league on Thursday or on Tuesday afternoon, late afternoon, oh, man. like 4.30-ish. Dude, it was like 73 with a nice breeze, no humidity. I, I, I couldn't have dialed it up any, any more perfect than that. That, that. that was dead solid perfect. And I think we all agree, yes, 
th- those times over the summer where you walk, and I love sitting outside, as you know. I've talked about that a lot. I like at night listening to a Reds game, doing some work, having a, a cold beverage at five or seven or whatever it is. And, and so I, I, I do like that, but there's just times in the summer, it's just too damn stifling with the humidity. So, yeah, give me that 70, 70-ish to 75. I, I can even go as high as 75, 77, as long as there's no humidity and a little bit of a breeze. That's perfect. You know John Thompson III, that was the you know, last Georgetown coach before uh, Patrick Ewing yes. took over? Yes. You know what type of sweater he is? Or even Sean oh, Miller. Yes. You know how Sean Miller sweat through his shirt yes. famously? That, those guys are like in my league, but not quite at my level when it comes to sweating. Like I am an elite-level sweater. And Tuesday, the day you mentioned, I went and played disc golf, and I took the dog to the park and walked around. And I didn't break a sweat the entire day. See, perfect. I was dry the entire day. I was like, this is unbelievable. I'm going to say 68 is probably my, if you have no humidity and 68 degrees, that's probably my ideal tone. Yeah, that's getting on a little little on the cool side. I know. I I just told you I'm an elite sweater. I know. You need it to be a little breezy. Okay. I'll I'll give you that part of it. I'll give you. Yeah. yeah, My my, my former radio partner, Tom Gamble, was one of the all-time great sweaters. We, We played a lot of soft competitive softball together. And some of those weekend tournaments where you're playing your fourth or fifth game in a day, he'd be on like his seventh shirt. I've never seen anybody that could sweat through so many shirts in my lifetime. Yeah, he might have me beat then. Uh, <laughs> Campbell is a, is a different level. But he's like a big hairy guy, right? He's a hairy yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I have no hair. I can't even yeah. grow a mustache. So it's weird that I'm such a sweater. Uh, anyway, all right. What is the worst or most embarrassing thing you've done or said on air? Um... I don't know about well, – yeah, the, the phone call from New Orleans was, was pretty embarrassing in retrospect. <laughs> it's, it's still a classic. It's still funny. I talked about – And we still can't find audio of it, unfortunately. Yeah. Stephen Sharp, if you're listening to this podcast, he may have it somewhere because he brings up the anniversary of that every year on Twitter, which is funny because it still to this day is, is, is a radio classic. But that's probably the one. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm glad I didn't curse, and I'm glad I – but I was probably a tad sexist, just a tad. Um, yeah, and we'll leave it at that. Fair enough. I um, I had trouble thinking about this one, but immediately the first thing that comes to my mind is, if you remember our former sports anchor, Ali Cohen, at Channel yes. 12, one time we were doing Sports Authority talking college basketball. It was just me and her. I don't know, you and Chad Brendel must have been doing something else that night. And at the end of the segment, she fist bumps me. Is that where you had the awkward fist bump? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it was memed and uh, GIF was made and everything else. It was maybe one of the most ridiculous things I've ever done in my entire life. Did, and I'm didn't, not blaming didn't you. I, didn't you eye roll that one too, or am I wrong? Well, I mean, I didn't know what to do when she stuck out the, the fist bump, which, so like I blame her for, for making me fist bumper, but then I totally blew it after that. I mean, I absolutely choked in the moment. I, I was say, it's really not hard. The fist is out there. You just kind of give it a little bump yeah, and just then be the, casual and bump your hand and you're good. Yeah. Don't be a weirdo about it. And I honestly, it was the whitest thing you've ever seen in your entire life watching me. Did, did you rigidly? I, I, I remember no, this vaguely. Did you whiff? No, I like rigidly like punched her kind of hard. <laughs> It was it was bad. I mean, I don't I don't know how a fist bump can be that bad, but it's honest to God probably the most embarrassing thing I've ever done on air. That's that's because I don't funny. think I've ever I, said anything stupid at this point other than the normal stupidity I say on yeah, the well, yeah, the, yeah, yes, yeah, just normal stuff, but nothing over the realm of stupidity. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. All right, and finally a bonus question. We're, we're going to do the top five from our listeners going forward, and that was our top five. But we have one bonus question from our uh, friend Mo Egger because he submitted it last week, and I didn't quite get to it. Uh, and you have looked at this. 
I have. I'm, I'm this going is to one read question it. I've looked at. I'm going to read it off for people and then you just take it away because okay. I, I don't even know who most of these people are. I, I can name four of them. Well, not name. I, I know who four of them are after reading the names. But here we that, go. That, that makes me laugh. Rank in order of who had the best career starting from the bottom. Ron Oster, Len Sakata, Jack Trudeau, Zane Smith, Hersey Hawkins, Marky Post, Von Hayes, Sedale Threat, John Nunnally, Joey Lawrence, Stan Humphreys, Rob Braun, and Matt Turk. All right, from the bottom <laughs> up, here we go. Making the bottom of the list is one Jack Trudeau. He was a horrible NFL quarterback. He was arrested for contributing to the delinquency of a minor when he hosted a daughter's graduation party and served alcohol to underage kids. And he was a terrible radio host in Indianapolis, then spent a little time doing a Fox morning show called it was a Zach and Jack show. It was just truly horrific. It's when Fox Sports has gone through 5,000 uh, morning shows. And he's got a couple of DUI arrests. So Jack Trudeau comes in at the very bottom of this list. And Mo Egger says he wants to – I'm looking forward to seeing – he said he's ranked them too, and he wants to see how he compares. So can I, ask I can't you, imagine he does not have Jack Trudeau at the bottom of the list. Can I ask you something about the list real yes. quick? Do you know why he has included these people? Like, is there I, a no. rhyme or reason to them? Knowing Mo, he just randomly came up with names off the top of his head just to challenge me. And I, I am accepting this challenge, as you know. You clearly are. That was a, an, an electric start. Please continue. All right. John Nunley, who played with the Royals and the Reds. Reds traded for him. You thought he was going to have some, you know, some success. He was a left-handed power hitter to some degree. But honestly, just barely over 200 career hits. Kind of fizzled out. Um, he comes in next on the list. Right above him is one Len Sakata, light-hitting shortstop of the Baltimore Orioles of the late 70s, early 80s. Len did get a World Series at bat, so that bumps him ahead of both Jack Trudeau and John Nunley on the list. <laughs> uh, next on our list is one actor, Joey Lawrence. Enough said. I mean, has he been in anything of consequence? He was in the show with Melissa Joan Hart, who I think is just delightful. I like her a lot. Um, <laughs> I like uh, Melissa Joan Hart, too. Um, so he, he, he just, he just has always come off. He's always played the dopey role. And honestly, he just, he's just an inconsequential actor. God love him. He's made a 30 plus year career. He started as a child actor. He's still grinding today, but from a career standpoint, he just doesn't do it for me. So he's towards the bottom of the list. Next is Ron Oster. And this isn't a knock because now I come into a lot of gray area of, of guys that, and people on this list that kind of could have gone a lot of different ways. Oh, had over 1100 career hits. Was one for one in that 1990 World Series, earned a World Series ring, so uh, he gets a little bump there. Right above him is pitcher Zane Smith, the typical left-handed pitcher who stuck around forever, did have over 100 career wins, was sub-500, but did pitch on some pretty decent teams uh, in Pittsburgh uh, that, that competed with those Braves teams of the early 90s and was kind of a mainstay of that staff, so it's Zane Smith. <laughs> above Zane Smith is one Von Hayes. Von Hayes played with the Indians and then the Phillies back in the, uh, the 80s. 1,400 career hits. He is above both, both Zane Smith and Ron Oster because Von Hayes did make an all-star team one year. So he was, a, he was, a, he was a, in the all-star game. So he, gets, he gets a little bump there. Above him is one Matt Turk. Now, that's a name you've got to remember, don't you? you I remember have no Matt idea Turk? who Matt Turk is. Matt Turk punted for about eight different NFL teams for oh. 16 or 17 years, made three Pro Bowls. Did he play for the Vikings? I probably did. He played for everybody. Vikings, Redskins, you name it. So Matt Turk gets above those guys because of the three Pro Bowls in the lengthy period of time. So Dale Three was a 14-year NBA player who scored almost 10,000 career points, but he gets some extra bonus points for fathering. Are you ready for this? Fathering 14 children. Oh, big sex guy. <laughs> big sex guy. Who is that? Well, Dale Three. 
The Dale three. So yeah, he, he, he gets up there. Uh, he's, he's on that list. All right. So we're, we're inching closer to the top coming in at number four is Stan Humphreys. He won a Super Bowl ring as a backup quarterback with Washington and then quarterback the San Diego chargers to a Super Bowl. I think it was the 94 or 95 season. I always confuse my seasons and Super Bowls, right? Um, Cause it's usually the Super Bowl is not played in the year or calendar year of the season. So, but he did, uh, did do that. And honestly, had a pretty good career until concussions knocked him out. So a Super Bowl ring and leading another franchise to a Super Bowl, and it's the Chargers he led, that's, that gets some, some, some vibes. So he comes in at number four. Number three, Hersey Hawkins. One of the more underrated players in the NBA of his era. Was an all-star once, over 14,000 career points, and he started on that really good 96 Sonics team with, with uh, Sean Kemp, Detlef Shrimp, Gary Payton. Uh, that was a really good team, but unfortunately yeah. they ran into the, the Bulls of the mid-90s. Um, you probably even saw some Hersey Hawkins footage on that, uh, that, that Michael Jordan, the 30-for-30 30 30 Bulls special. He was a really good player. 14,000 career NBA points. That's getting it done. Agree? Yeah, certainly. All right. I, knew, I knew Hersey Hawkins. That was one of the few. Yes, you, yes, you did. Number two. One of my, I, if, if, I, if I had a crush of the 80s and 90s, it would be on this, this lady, Marky Post. She was in the show Night Court, one of the better shows of the NBC genre when they were killing it back in the 80s, um, was a star of a lot of Lifetime movie networks, and you have to look her up. There are very few that filled out a pair of leather pants like she did. Mm-mm-mm, Marky Post, number two with a bullet. And the only reason she doesn't get the number one is I got to give it to my guy, Rob Braun. I mean, for the lengthy career that he was a broadcaster and anchor in this area, his newscasts were always number one. And so if you're always number one, it's hard not to put him at number one. Um, got a chance to work with him on the set a bunch of different times when I would anchor some sports casts. And, and I'll tell you, the first time I did it, I thought I'd be intimidated. He couldn't have been any nicer, more professional, easing me in where I'm scared to death. I'm, I'm around Rob freaking Braun, man. Couldn't have been a better guy. And, and, and uh, he comes in at number one. So there's our list going back in reverse order. Jack Trudeau at the bottom, then John Nunley, then Len Sakata, Joey Lawrence, Ron Oster, Zane Smith, Von Hayes, Mac Turk, Sedale Threat, Stan Humphreys, Percy Hawkins, Marky Post, and Rob Braun. Yeah, I mean, you're a company guy for having Rob Braun number one, but at the same time, there's no argument there. And you mentioned uh, what a guy he was. He, he is the most normal, yep. down to earth, but at the same time, like classy and, and cool, just. He's just got a, an aura about him that's just different from most people. He is, he is a really cool guy to be around. There's no doubt about that. Um, this was one of the hornier segments of the podcast. I will say that. Your, your comments about Marky Post and the Sedale Threat thing, um, I'm very impressed by. That's like uh, Phil Rivers type numbers, right? Isn't Phil yeah. Rivers the exact yeah, guy yeah, of the NFL now? Yeah, he's got like eight or nine little chitlins running around, I do, I do believe. All right, so the funny part for me is who were the four on the list that you knew? Well, hold on. Matt Turk, by the way, played for eight NFL teams and not the Vikings, so I had no idea who he was, <laughs> okay. clearly. Okay, all right. All right, so uh, four people that I knew. Ron Oster, of course. Yes, of course. Uh, Hersey Hawkins, as I yep. mentioned. Uh, John Nunnally, I had his baseball card. He played, like, what, 97, 98? Yeah, forever? yeah, mid-90s, yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah, um, and Rob Ron, of course. And Rob Ron, so, yeah. I guess looking back, I don't know who I should have – who do you think I should have known that I didn't? Sedale Freight, uh, maybe. Yeah, so a big sex three. guy and an NBA guy, I should have known. Yeah, I, 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 I feel you should have known who Stan Humphreys was at least. I mean, he did lead a team to a Super Bowl. Now, what, uh, what, what was his career? What, what years? He was like uh, 90 to 97, 98. Oh, wow, yeah. I'm surprised I didn't, uh, didn't register with me. And Jack Trudeau, I would have thought you'd have remembered from the god-awful morning show, Zach and Jack. It was on, 
like five or six years ago. It didn't last long. In fact, our friend Andy Furman uh, replaced him on, on the Fox Sports Morning Show. So I, I thought you might have remembered him for that. He was the guy, if you remember, do you remember a guy, because he, 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 he might still host a show in Indianapolis. He's the one um, who got into it with, with Indiana football coach Kevin Wilson when he had Kevin Wilson on, and, and he asked some kind of just off-the-wall stupid question, and Kevin Wilson hung up on him. Man, I don't remember that at all. But okay. one thing I can all guarantee right. you I'm, I'm not doing is listen to Fox Sports Radio. I don't know if they've okay. ever well, had a show I've enjoyed. That's, that's, a, that's a legitimate point as well. Yeah. And go look at Marky Post. Go look at Marky Post from her heyday. I, hmm. uh, I am Googling Marky Post as we speak and leather pants. Yep, I'm, I'm sure there will be some, some images that Marky will come Post, up. Marky Post, leather pants. She does wear leather pants. That is a fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, she's kind of got um, she's got the old hair. Like, um, yes, correct. Yeah, it was an 80s hair, yeah. the big hair. Kind of a Farrah Fawcett thing going on there. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah big okay. fan. She's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan. All big right. Fan. I'll go for it. I'll Farrah big... Fawcett on that one. Did, did, I, did, I, did I mention big fan? You seem, like a, you seem like a big fan of her. Okay. Big fan. Just wanted All to right. let everybody know. Big fan. All right. Uh, that'll do it. Mo, thank you. I'm listening. I'm interested in, in hearing what his, his, how he ranked these, these folks. Yeah, I can't I'm, imagine I want him to have Jack Trudeau at the bottom. I want him to tweet out his rankings in detailed explanation form as you just gave us that was fantastic i can't believe you were that well prepared for that question there you go i don't I I start to giving prepared. you all the questions yeah yeah no right maybe, maybe, maybe that's exactly what i should do i should be more prepared for everything we talk about yeah probably not yeah it's not fun that way rick i appreciate it uh good luck this weekend in the wagering segment and uh, we'll be back next week for rick roaring i'm richard skinner this has been the skinny podcast the weekly poultry edition